Bruno Prefertiti. <laughs> is that what he is? Yeah, Prefertiti. Uh, I call him Prefertitis. <laughs> Gotta put the squeeze on those Prefertitis, don't you? You're listening to the Dare Daniel podcast where you send us your most sinister movie dares and we suffer the consequences for your amusement. I'm Corky McDonald, local comedian, and I applied to the College of Cardinals, but my safety is sore bone. And with me, as always, is film critic Daniel Barnes. Hi, everyone. As Corky said on this show, we do your dirty work by watching the most unwatchable movies you can imagine, and then we review and rate them on our unique system. We give a run-of-the-mill bad film a dare, we give the double dare to the truly atrocious movies, and we reserve the reverse dare for a despised movie that we think is actually pretty good. Today on the podcast, we are reviewing Tom Hanks in Ron Howard's Angels and Demons. The 2009 sequel to The Da Vinci Code, not the sequel to Angels with Dirty Faces, or Angels in the Outfield, or the 80s exploitation movie Angel, Student by Day, Hooker by Night. But before we get started, Daniel's going to tell us about the beer we'll be drinking during the show. So I don't think I've ever brought a beer from Claimstake Brewing before, have I? I I don't recognize the name. Claimstake Brewing in Rancho Cordova. Hey, Rancho! They're doing fantastic work out there. Uh, One of the best breweries in the Sacramento region. We today are drinking their Crispy Stash Pilsner. It is a 5% alcohol by volume Pilsner. It is very light. It is very crisp. It is very refreshing. Perfect for a summer day, which is when we're recording this. So, I know it's summer when I'm drinking a river beer, and this is a river this beer. Is this is absolutely a river Sacramento beer. Sacramento river beer. So before we get into the movie this week, we wanted to kind of switch up the formula a little bit. Whoop. First, we want to talk about the movie that we reviewed two weeks ago. That would be Duncan Jones's Warcraft. Warcraft. Corky. Yes. Final thoughts on Warcraft. Anything that... Because a lot of times we will do a whole show, we'll talk for an hour, and then on the ride home I'll think, oh, crap. We didn't even talk about those two things. So do you have any things that you kind of weren't able to squeeze in the first time around? Well, there's one thing about the movie and there's one thing about what I talked about. So one thing about the movie is that, you know, the story of Slumber Party Massacre, the (laughs) early 1980s low budget horror movie was written as a parody of slasher films. Okay. But they, the producers didn't get that and they made it like a straight movie. Warcraft seems like it was a parody. It was written as a parody (laughs) of Lord of the Rings or these kind of things, and they didn't realize they were making a parody. They had no idea they were doing that. Everybody played it exactly straight. That's what it feels like. The other thing I wanted to bring up was that uh, I called Toby the lead (laughs) lead orc (laughs) simian-looking like Ron Perlman, but I looked this guy up. I love this guy. This guy's great. His Black Mirror episode is my favorite Black Mirror episode, and he's fantastic in it. He was the most compelling character in the movie, and his, his performance came through. Toby Kebbell is a little simian, though. He, oh, remember. yeah. <laughs> He's a little simian. It would not surprise me to see him in a Hellboy reboot in 10 years. He's got that facial structure. Yeah. And as you were saying, one thing that we kind of went over very fast in the movie is that the character that Toby Kebbell plays, Duratan, we are with him from the very beginning of the movie. First scene of the movie. He's narrating it. He's the only character we give any sliver of a fuck about. He dies. He just gets murdered. His wife gets murdered. His child gets orphaned. The movie takes no time to pause for that. It goes on to 45 minutes of orc fights, (laughs) sword fights, fucking magic fights, talking golems. Everybody's quipping. 
And then the king dies, and we spend 15 minutes yeah. on, on mooning over the dead king who we give no fucks about. Yeah, the king has not been compelling at all, and it's jerk-off sesh once he dies. It's kind of amazing when you get to the final, final scene, which is the little baby orc on down the river, and then you think back, like, oh, wow, wait a minute. Durantan <laughs> died, like, 45 <laughs> minutes ago, and they didn't even acknowledge it. Didn't even acknowledge it. Yeah, he's just left to rot on the battlefield. Yeah, it, and that's just... The bizarre miscalculations of that movie just go on and on and on and on. So that's just another one. We talked a little about Ben Foster uh, giving maybe the best performance. I mean, it's a super low bar uh, mm-hmm. as far as the humans go, the non-motion oh, right, right. performances. And Ben Foster, we agree, is a good actor. Yeah. This is not the role for Ben Foster. No, no, ben, no. It needs somebody funny. And Ben Foster, whatever he is, he ain't funny. He ain't doing comedy. That no. guy ain't funny. Mm-mm. Something like Leave No Trace, he's amazing in. Yeah. I mean, that's just a, a intense, heavy, emotional role. Boy, something like this where you need somebody theatrical, he's completely all wrong for it. And one more thing is that we were talking about how much the film borrows from other films, especially Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones. At one point, there's a mention of the Seven Kingdoms. Oh, really? In this movie. I I didn't catch that. But one thing we didn't mention is that the score of Warcraft is by Game of Thrones composer Rawin Ramin Jawadi. Mm. Ramin Ramin Jawadi. One of those is right. Yeah. So it it had a Game of Thrones flavor from the very first notes. There's a lot of drums in that movie. So many drums. Drum heavy. (laughs) The drums. So now let's read a couple of your movie dares. We haven't done this in a while. We did our our full dare episode, but we want to kind of incorporate these into the regular episodes a little bit more. Yeah, so, acknowledge that you guys are sending these in to us in almost real time. Absolutely. As close as we can. As close as we can. So I got two new dares today. You go to daredaniel.com, click the submit a dare button up there at the top, hit us up on Social media, Dare Daniel Pod, Facebook, Twitter, and If Instagram. you see George C. Scott, you're on the right page. You're on the you're right doing. path. So our first dare comes to us from Joe Campbell. I don't know if this is Joseph Campbell, <laughs> legendary author. Is that the one I got confused with Joe Conrad? Joseph Conrad, Heart of Darkness? One mini episode, I got those two confused. Joe Campbell, what do you got for us? He's got a movie called 1972 Yellow House. Was this film made in 1972? No. 2013, baby. Mm. Already confusing. It's a found footage horror film. It's directed by Curtis Stone. Stars your boy, uh, Mark McIntyre. That's my boy. Your girl, Megan DeWitt. How's my girl? And, of course, Paula Lopez. Who <laughs> not not have, mine at all. You have feuded with. I, I claim no credit for her. <laughs> Why, Joe Campbell, do you want us to watch 1972 Yellow House? He says this movie is 53 minutes long. So far, so good. Yeah, really. But it feels like five hours. It is as incomprehensible as it is ugly to look at. It looks like someone filmed a low-quality found footage movie, slathered the footage in muddy color overlay filters, then recorded the whole movie off their computer screen with a smartphone and uploaded that as the final movie. It is unwatchable. Enjoy! IMDb synopsis of 1972 Yellow House. During a recent remodel of the Yellow House... Some illiterate dub fuck wrote this. IMDb is the <laughs> worst. The wor- well, because a lot of these I have to be submitted by users. Eat through a Babelfish kind of <laughs> <That's right>. voice. <laughs> Language descrambler. 
During a recent rebuttal of the Yellow House, Cruz discovered the remains of a little girl and a Super 8 movie camera with the footage still inside. The footage has been released to the media by Summerland Police. This is their footage. What? (laughs) (laughs) So that's... Sounds very fun. 1972 Yellow House found footage horror film. Have you? You've never seen this. No, but I do like a good slathering. I like a good slathering of bad graphics. You say something slathered. I'm into it. I, I saw the trailer for this. I watched it um, on YouTube. Nice. And you know, or you hate newscaster exposition in movies. Sure. The whole trailer is newscaster exposition. <laughs> really? The trailer is the newscaster reading that they found uh, footage. Of a murder or something. Yeah, that's a hot news. Yeah. Hot news, story. Hot news item. We found footage. <laughs> we watched it. We're not going to show it. <laughs> so Thank you that for the is dare. Great dare. Joe Campbell, 1972 Yellow House. We are, when we get to October, we're going to do our Scare Daniel again. So this sounds like a good yeah. Scare Daniel candidate. And stop trying to take credit for Hearts of Darkness, Joe Campbell. Next dare comes to us from David Paul, a.k.a. Deeps, motherfucker. Deep. Hey. What do you got for us, DP? DP has been killing it. With he he killing is crushing. Today's episode is a DP dare. It is. Yeah. David Paul, what are you daring for us? Daring us to watch Captive State. Captive State. This is a new movie released in March 2019. Shot in early 2017, so there's an awesome sign right off the bat. <laughs> Directed and co-written by Rupert Wyatt. He did Rise of the Planet of the Apes and The Gambler with Mark Wahlberg and John Goodman, who okay. stars here uh, in Captive State, along with Ashton Sanders, Jonathan Majors, and Vera Farmiga. Why, David Paul? Why, God, why do you want us to watch Captive State? He says the only laudable thing about this movie is that John Goodman gives a goddamn clinic on acting while full of zanny and booze. <laughs> it makes no sense almost from the beginning. Also, the sound is terrible. The action and music were super loud, and the dialogue was super quiet, so I couldn't make out much of what people were saying. But it turns out not hearing what the main characters are saying is the least painful way to watch this movie. For transparency's sake, I must say I ate a whole weed rice crispy treat right before I started watching it, so maybe that helped make it Make less sense, but it makes no sense anyway. I like the idea of this movie, and I'm a sucker for the alien apocalypse milieu, but okay. this movie is total nonsense. Could have been a good movie if almost everything was done differently. Cool deal. Love you guys. Keep up the comedy magic. Deeps, motherfucker. IMDb synopsis of Captive State, set in a Chicago neighborhood nearly a decade after an occupation by an extraterrestrial force, Captive State explores the lives on both sides of the conflict, the collaborators, and dissidents. Captive State, did you get a chance to watch that I've one? never even heard of this movie. Never even heard of it. Yeah. Snuck into theaters. Yeah, I never. In early, earlier this year. Yeah, seems intriguing. And I love his dares because like only one line in there tells you anything about what the movie's nah. about. <laughs> He's giving you an experience. Yes. He's taking you for a journey. And if there's a performance full of Sandy and Booze, great. Hey, that's how we do this podcast, too. <laughs> Absolutely. We can relate. Yes. So thank you very much, David Paul, for the dare. DP. And David Paul, as we had teased earlier, also dared us to watch the movie that we are going to be reviewing today on this episode. That film is Ron Howard's Angels and Demons. IMDb synopsis of it is as such. Harvard symbologist Robert Langdon works with a nuclear physicist to solve a murder and prevent a terrorist act against the Vatican during one of the significant events within the church. I don't think we mentioned it, but Angels and Demons is the second of the three films in the Robert Langdon 
film series. Of course, it is a sequel to The Da Vinci Code, and like its predecessor, it was directed by Ron Howard and based on a book by Dan Brown that I have never read and never will read except under the threat of torture. Tom Hanks, of course, reprises his role as Robert Langdon, Harvard symbologist. Film also includes Ewan McGregor and Israeli actress Ayelet Zurer. Like The Da Vinci Code, it was a big hit, not as big, made $133 million domestic, 352 foreign for a worldwide gross of $485 million against a production budget of $150 million. Budget of $150 million. So much of that had to go to Tom Hanks, don't you think, just to get him into this movie? Locations, too. So much of it's green screen, though. Or but it's they film fake. a lot right in the middle of St. Peter's Square. They film a lot on a back lot, too. That's true. <laughs> that is very true. And a lot in front of a green screen. But anyway, Tom Hanks, go out, buy yourself a few antique typewriters and enjoy it. It was the ninth highest grossing film of 2009. Released what the fuck is wrong with you people? May 15th, 2009 on 3000. 527 screens. Critics did not care for it as much. 37 on Rotten Tomatoes, 48 on Metacritic, although higher rated than either The Da Vinci Code or Inferno, which was the 2016 follow-up, also starring Tom Hanks and directed by Ron Howard. Corky. Yeah. I, unlike David Paul, am not a conspiracy buff, and Mm -hmm. I'm certainly not a religious history buff or a Catholic history buff. In a way, I feel like that's the only possible way to enjoy it if you are one of those. And yet, at the same time, it must be so offensive to you. This movie is just complete nonsensical treatment of literally everything. Yeah. <laughs> is it compulsively watchable or is it truly unwatchable? Uh, it's it's just... Because it, it's trash. It's just ignorable, it's high pro. It's high-gloss trash either way. But does it work or not? No, it doesn't work not at, at all. all. It's... Yeah. it's we we talked. I can't remember when we talked. We talked about Ron Howard, and I was like asking you. I thought he was a good director, and you're like, no, he's garbage. So I was watching with that kind of eye. Sure. Yeah, this kind of stuff makes me mad. Right. Someone with that much budget, that much star power, that much backing by the studio gets to do whatever they want. Absolutely. And you just give us this superfluous garbage. Yeah. Just Ron Howard never settles for one shot when twelve hundred. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that guy just runs shot through shot shoot through shot. Yeah. He is, to me, he is the dictionary definition of a hack. Yeah. In that he's not, it's not that he's untalented. Nope. It's not that he can't make a movie or shape a scene or a shot or anything like that. It's just he uses all of his talent and all of his resources to make the material as banal and mediocre as possible. Yeah. If it's a Western, it's going to look like a Western. If it's this kind of movie, it's going to look like this kind of movie. He is a slave to the material in the worst way possible. He brings nothing of himself to the movie. You're right. And a film like this, which just like, what the fuck is the point of any of this? Do you think he really cares about any of this Catholic symbolism or conspiracy stuff? You know, it's all just prelude to a chase scene, basically. That's all the movie is. It's one long chase. Which, in a sense, I have seen The Da Vinci Code. I haven't seen Inferno, which is the Mm -hmm. follow-up to this movie. Da Vinci Code is basically this movie, except that people will walk into a room and have a really boring conversation about symbology. This movie, they're <laughs> running somewhere. They're always being chased or they're in a car speeding somewhere. Like th- this movie has like a heavy ticking clock hanging over the That's first That's so thirds. funny. They will walk into a room and then deliver dialogue. In this movie, they're running through the room, <laughs> delivering dialogue as they're it's running. Like running and talking. With three other cuts to someone looking at them. <laughs> Kind of evilly. That's what the best part of this movie is that 
there's this big mystery and we don't know who did it. And and Tom Hanks as Robert Langdon, the Harvard symbologist, is going to find out who did it. But everyone looks at him all shifty eyed. Yeah. So we suspect everybody. There is not a moment in this movie that isn't about the next scene. Like there's you learn nothing about any of these characters beyond what they do. It's just rushing to the next names. scene. Absolutely. That's it. I didn't even learn most of their names. I just had to come up with nicknames. I didn't know Ewan people. McGregor's name until I, his nickname, Kamalongo or whatever. Ewan McGregor. Yeah. <laughs> but what I love is we'll get deep into spoilers, as we do on every single review here. We'll get in all the details of the spoilers. Broad strokes of the spoilers, though, is that this entire conspiracy, as you find out, is put on by basically two people. Yeah. This gigantic conspiracy is two different people. So everyone else who is looking shifty-eyed at Tom Hanks... Is just a shifty-eyed weirdo? Yeah, that's true, huh? <laughs> like, what, what the fuck is everybody else doing? And there's so... I mean, this movie makes no sense. The logistics make no sense. And when you find out the reveal, it makes less sense. Yeah, and the reveal... You should not know what the reveal is. You, the reveal's tipped at, like, 30 minutes in. And yet, you, we still have a two-hour and 18-minute movie. I'm so right. <laughs> The reveal is there's one guy who's not a shifty-eyed weirdo, yes. and it's like, hey, what's your deal? The one good guy is too good to be a good guy. Yeah, and Hanks, he cannot sink down to the level Mm-mm. that this movie requires. My, I watched this with my wife, and she had a great comment, which was, Tom Hanks is likable in everything. Yeah. Except for this. <laughs> <laughs> he is not likable. Robert Langdon is such an annoying person. He is such an explainer. Oh, all he does is explain. He every explain- bit of dialogue. If you're n- unprompted as well, it's like let me explain this. When he's by himself, he mutters explains. <laughs> he explains things to himself. The expert on everything that he's explaining. Self-explanation is the he's worst a crime. Self-explainer. Let's get right into it. Angels and Demons, released by Columbia Pictures. Right away, we get the heavy-handed Hans Zimmer score. We got the thundering choirs. We've got the drums. Get used to that. Yeah, a lot of that. We see Ewan McGregor as priest Ewan McGregor. <laughs> He's in Catholic priest guards. He's hammering a cross in a ring and then smashing the ring. And, you know, if you don't know Catholic things, you don't know what's happening. Nope. But thankfully, thankfully, a helpful news person comes in to narrate all of this that is happening and explain everything. They explain why there's a Papal Gallagher show going on because he's sledgehammering <laughs> the shit out of something more neat. So this news person explains, it's the ring of the fishermen, it's destroyed upon the death of the sitting pope, and we're seeing all these traditions. The dead pope is described as, quote, a progressive and beloved pope, and now there's a conclave assembling to elect the new pope. Yeah, and you're you're two minutes in, and you have narration about a ring over a, over a montage, and you're like, where's Kate Blanchett? Why isn't she doing this? Isildur. <laughs> We also, because it's not enough just to explain, like, the plot, you got to explain the themes as well, okay? So we find out that this is a Catholic church that is, quote, riven by change and dissent. Ancient traditions are threatened by the technology of the modern world. Yeah, that's the problem with (laughs) the Catholic church. That's where the Catholic church went sideways. Step cell controversy. What? (laughs) What fucking world does this movie take place in? So anyway, cut to the Hadron Collider. What? Yeah. We're already 40 <laughs> shots into this thing. We're at the Hadron Collider. Now we're at the Higgs boson. But you got to explain that, too. So 
It's explained that at the Hadron Collider, the scientists are creating canisters of antimatter. Mm-hmm. They're just doing that. So the, the dialogue is science jargon, science term, science, science jargon, yeah. science jargon term. And then you see the the board, and there's numbers. They're going up and down. There's tiles, bars that lights. are going up and down. Things are happening. We hear about a luminosity monitor. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Lights. Go into things, science happens, and kaboom, you got yourself a canister of antimatter. Antimatter. So then but this one shot, of the, this, there's computer graphics that's are that they're watching on the screen. The shot goes into the computer graphics on the screen and then it becomes computer graphics. We follow it through the Higgs boson collider the yeah. hydrogen collider. That's so fucking hacky. <laughs> This and that's not the most egregious part. That comes later. That comes at the end. And that's a display for the scientists. Like, do they not know how it works? (laughs) (laughs) They don't need it explained to them. Why is it on there? So then, one of the scientists is a priest. Yep, Doctor Priest, old Doc Priest, and he calls someone, and it's mysterious. It's true. But then the the main scientist, who I did not ever catch her name. Vittoria. Vittoria. This is the one time they say it. Vittoria, come down here. Sexy scientist. Oh, yeah. She's... She, is she needed in this movie? At Not at all. It's only not for at all. somebody else besides Tom Hanks to explain things it, yeah. a couple times. Apparently, in the books, Robert Langdon fucks. <laughs> like, Langdon fucks. Okay? And they fuck in the His book. His Robert Longdong. <laughs> Longdong. That's a terrible Bobby joke. Bobby Longdong. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh <laughs> but i think once they cast tom hanks They're in like, the very first film and his hair you know again tom hanks very likable very likable not so much when you think about him plowing some young actress right, right? Yeah. like some starlet or something like that again this is why it needs nick cage nick cage has no more <laughs> functions about that he's like, yeah so she finds an eye a detached eye on the floor that has been ripped out to enter this secure room. She walks down several corridors, like probably four or 500 steps worth of corridors, then finds the body. Yeah. With the eye ripped out. That guy cured that eye for quite a while. No, he dropped the eye right at the door. Yeah. Carried the corpse. Oh, I thought he ripped the eye out where the corpse was and carried the ripped eye with the him. eye out. Boom. To get out, he... he Use the eye to get into the secure facility. That's right. Because he wasn't trying to get so out. Some of the, the logistics eye. of this movie are insane. <laughs> but he had the eye yeah. in the body. Yeah. Ripped it out anyway. Leave the body where it lays. Dropped the eye. Dragged the corpse with no sign of any blood, even though he has a gushing wound in his eye. Yeah. He, that guy carried the b- corpse all the way back in, came back with the eye, dropped the eye. It just makes. And then, wh- like, and then why what, cut the eye in the first place? Why leave the eye and drag the corpse? But she finds also the can- canister of antimatter is gone. Yeah. You just got antimatter spilling all over the place. Yeah. So Dr. Priest is dead. Canister of antimatter. It's out there. It's somewhere. And this antimatter, as we'll find out, it's, a, it's, a, it's bad stuff, baby. So cut to our hero, Robert Langdon, swimming. And we get a nice shot of Hank's tank. Oh, yeah. Because he does a little uh, somersault sure. in the pool. I froze, I froze frame that. That's some Hank's tank. <laughs> you capture that. Bobby Longdong. That's good stuff. <laughs> so as he's swimming, a guy with a briefcase walks up to the pool. Even this garbage-ass scene has to be cut. In between Hank's swimming and the guy's feet walking. Know, Hank's right? swimming, guy's feet walking. Well, and Langdon right away, because he's always looking for symbols. He's always looking for clues. He sees this insignia of keys on the thing. This guy turns out to be Vatican police. 
Nevertheless, Robert Langdon right away starts explaining yep. Vatican symbols to the Vatican police. But what I love is the guy, the guy carrying the Vatican briefcase with the symbols on it is surprised that Langdon recognizes it. You're here to fucking get him because he's the world this renowned symbolist. This is the whole reason you're here. And he's, whoa, this guy knows what he's talking about. He knows the very basic stuff. This cop, I called him not Adrian Brody. <laughs> That's who he looks like. So yeah, the police guy shows Langdon this Illuminati. It's just like just a, a piece of paper says Illuminati. It just says Illuminati. It's like I was told to show this. Like, oh, it looks like a shitty skater company it, uh, it logo. Does. Yeah, right. But it's supposed to be this old sign that it's the same upside down yeah. or you know, whatever. Who cares? We get one thing I've never seen before. We get expositing. Because mm-hmm. they're riding in a helicopter, and Langdon, <laughs> as he does in every scene, explains the first movie to us, and then everything that this movie's going to be about. Yeah. So there's a lot of walking and explaining. Uh, Langdon, so a point of contention that'll come up in the books. This movie there, or this story comes before Da Vinci Code. In yeah. the movies, it comes afterwards. So they're kind of talking about Da Vinci Code a little bit. Langdon wants access to the Vatican archives to finish his research. Mm-hmm. All he wants to do is finish his research. The guy explains the plot now, yeah. finally, yeah. which is that we didn't see it, but four cardinals the who prefer- came to the conclave, the Prefertiti, who we find out are the Preferiti, they have been kidnapped, and there is a threat by the kidnapper to execute one an hour yeah. up until midnight. At which point, the canister of antimatter. Yeah, so we have a ticking clock set in. because We have like five ticking (laughs) clocks. (laughs) We're going to synchronize your ticking clocks. Dan, can I just say like at hour and 30 minutes in this movie, I go, holy shit, this is supposed to be one day. (laughs) I know. It's a busy day. Yo, the the time travel, the distance travel is like uh, season eight of Game of Thrones in this. Absolutely. They just go back and forth. They just show up wherever they need to Wherever they need to be next episode. So Langdon gets on a Vatican jet, flies off to the Vatican, uh, meets Inspector Goatee. I did not catch this guy's name, but he's another Vatican. Like, so, so yeah, like, there's just too many characters in this fucking movie. Like, the unnecessary characters. These three Vatican police guys could have been one guy yeah. <laughs> and two people who didn't This speak. is the guy Marcello Mastro-Antonio would have played 20 years ago. And Langdon, oh man. he. So Langdon is essentially, he. he's a... He's a Harvard symbologist, okay? So he's a Catholic church expert, but he's also a man of action. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. In many senses, he, in many respects, he's a lot like Indiana Jones, except that he is completely boring and I hate him. <laughs> but it, it, broad strokes, he's a lot like Indiana Jones. He's an intelligent man of action. Yeah. But holy fuck, does he love to explain things. He walks into this room of statues and unprompted begins a sentence with, Oh yes, the 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 the, the, no, like the castration the, of uh, uh, Celestine or something like that. God, like no one asked. Yeah. Also, guess who you're talking to? People who are in the Vatican City literally every fucking day. Yep. yep. And he just starts off lecturing to them, and then of course they're all like, "We didn't know that." My notes here are: Christ, each scene is a history lesson. <laughs> so we meet Stellan Skarsgård, mm-hmm. head of the Swiss Guard. He's <laughs> Stellan Skarsgård, the Swiss Guard, <laughs> and I will say, Stellan. Does a stellar job. <laughs> okay. It's wordplay. It's fun wordplay. So yeah, he's Stellan Skarsgård is the Swiss guard. And like everyone else. <laughs> you're, taking, you're fucking taking a walk in that, aren't you? <laughs> whoever, whoever he beats, he is very angry. Oh, he's at. always angry. He's this angry one. and suspicious at everyone, including this Robert Langdon character. Uh, the sexy scientist is there. 
This was an amazing thing about the Swiss Guard office. The lobby of his office is a giant weapons room. Yeah, the armory. Yeah, <laughs> the armory. But it's not an armory. It's their fucking lobby. You have to walk through an armory. <laughs> is anything behind logging key? No. No. And what weapons do they have? Oh, you know, swords, battle axes, machine guns, you, armor, Vatican rifles. City, <laughs> Vatican City is tiny. It's its own country, but it's tiny. That is their national armory. It's a lobby. <laughs> Anyone who wants to like see the head of the Swiss Guard has to walk through a giant room full of weapons. But have you seen the Swiss Guard? They're dressed like I Pagliacci. <laughs> I mean, they're not intimidating shit. So anyway. The sexy scientist, she lost her God particle. Anytime anyone says God particle about this antimatter, oh boy, all those Catholics get a little teeth gnashing yeah. about the God particle. And so, uh, it's Skarsgård, the Swiss guard, is like, oh, God particle. Ah. So they have a video of the kidnapped priests, the antimatter container. They estimate it's going to be a five kiloton explosion. Batteries dying. We're getting all of our ticking clocks kind of in a row here. Path of illumination. It's hidden somewhere in Rome, Vatican City. The four kidnapped or the four preferiti. This is all just a dumb church history puzzle, essentially. This is the other thing about this movie that's so national treasure-ish is he solves these puzzles as they happen. Like, I know. Like, you, no researcher has to go like spend 10 years studying the, what he learned that day to go, oh, that's the conclusion I've come to. No, he's he's watching that tape, listening to the audio and breaking it down like or vanilla ice and cool as ice. No, he's like, here's the sound. Explaining as he's figuring it out. <laughs> In his denim shirt. <laughs> so now we meet Ewan McGregor. He is the camera lingo, which I guess is some sort of like junior assistant pope or assistant something? to the regional pope assistant to the regional pope <laughs> he seems very calm and very reasonable and i wrote it right thoughtful. here you and mcgregor is too good to be the good guy I know, right i wrote it this is first page of notes he's semi-agreeing with tom hanks but he also asks if he believes in god play where's this accent from with you and mcgregor in this know, movie? Right? he's supposed to be irish raised in italy raised in italy but sound, by the old Pope, by the dead Pope. Sounds like John F. Kennedy sometimes. <laughs> At one point, the, everyone's all like worried, and Ewan McGregor's like, listen, Vatican City is a fortress. I mean, this is like right after they call it the big four, four preferee were just kidnapped. <laughs> oh, that's right. And are being held somewhere, but don't worry, it's a fortress. No one gets into the big V unless they're wanted. <laughs> So essentially explain, explain, explain. Here's some symbols, here's some symbols, here's some symbols. It's not important. Nope. But we have any furtive glances, strange looks. Absolutely. So now we meet the elector who is going to be sort of the head of the conclave. It's my boy Armin Mueller. It's Armin Mueller. And the funny thing is that Ewan McGregor, as the camera lingo, insists, insists that they pause on the conclave. Yeah. And hold it. Whereas Armin Mueller, stall ironically, refuses to stall. Yeah. Dan, these wordplay bits. <laughs> Do you like it? These wordplay bits. <laughs> so some dude gets a payment. The kidnapper. We see the kidnapper. He's just some guy. Uh, he picks his first uh, victim. We see a branding iron. And now we go back to Robert Langdon. So constantly the movie will do these things where it's just like, hey, remember, there's a, a canister of antimatter. It'll sure. just like yeah. cut to it for like 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah, so someone yeah. will just be like, hey, remember that canister of antimatter? It's going to blow up. 
So now Tom Hanks gets to go into the Galileo archives because there's some clues down there. Which apparently is in the Wayne Industries lab. I know, right? <laughs> this place is so decked out. Why do they have it so set up if they don't let anyone go in there? <laughs> like They have it set up like a freaking museum. But anyway, so he goes down to the archives, him and the sexy scientist, they find a watermark in this Galileo book and she rips out the page. But they're, they're, the reason they're told this is because it just... It, possibly could come up later these things have to be hermetically sealed so they'll cut the oxygen to yeah. it and you hear that and you're like that's coming that's the coming fuck up, right up we're later. gonna be back here and the air is gonna be cut off the show but anyway she rips out the page they race to this church he's figuring out some dumbass riddle while they're racing around it's a code it's a rhyme one-eyed willy is <laughs> there they deduce that it's at the pantheon which is some big ass church in rome uh, Skarsgård, the Swiss guard, shows up, and then he's just like, fuck it, I'm leaving. He just leaves. Yeah, he does. He's like, fuck the kidnap preparatee, I don't care. That's what I'm saying. Ron Howard has all these tools and devices and can set up these shots and pay these salaries, and it's just to make this garbage. Like, yeah, you're there, and now you're gone. Look, he is the Swiss guard responsible for the safety of the Vatican. He's not going to go around worrying about kidnapped cardinals from the conclave or a bomb that will kill all of us. No, he's bring- He's got bigger <laughs> fish to fry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy. I'm busy. Got a lot of paperwork in the weapon room to take care of. So, so they find a door, and even the door is some stupid fucking puzzle. That, yep. of course, the like the cops are with them. Like they like take one second to try to open the door, and they just run off. Yeah. It's like we're done. And somebody shouts out because they hear bells tolled. It's eight o'clock, and it looks midday at best. <laughs> so. They go into this room, Hank's... Uh, it's called the, the Demon's Hole. The Demon's Hole. Which I found after a few Jim Boy's Taco six-packs. Oh, Hey-o! man, to that. <laughs> but uh, Langdon explains some stuff to the sexy scientist. They find the dead priest. He's branded. He's getting eaten by rats. So, boom. Priest number one, dead. Couldn't save him. Right. But you got another dead priest coming in an hour, baby. So, buck up. Back to the conclave. Armin Mueller stall? Does he stall? No, he doesn't. He charges ahead. Angry crowds are like gathering outside. The, yeah. While this is happening. They are just shout mingling. They're, they're, <laughs> they're just like, there is about to be a fucking riot over when this Pope is about to be elected. No one seems to be protesting the same thing. They're just like, I don't like where you are. All right, bye. <laughs> uh, you, you? I don't like you either. Uh, okay, have a good one. You, don't like you. But that's over several dozen cuts. <laughs> yes, exactly. We have to go back and forth a whole bunch of times before we get that. Clock strikes nine. Remember, there's a huge crowd of thousands of people. Yeah. The priest just shows up on the steps, branded and eviscerated. This this guy who carried the dead priest down with the eyeball <laughs> now carries a dead priest in the Throw middle, a, a bleeding dead priest in the middle of a crowd, dumps him, and then they just find the priest and not the guy running away with blood all over him. And they only find him because his blood drips on some little girl's doll who then screams, and then they notice this guy just, <laughs> his guts pouring out. If it's out. not a poignant discovery, Dan, it's not a discovery. I love this part, too, because they're trying to find this. They're always hunting for the next clue, yeah. next code. And the second Robert Langdon says, how do you make a sculpture about air? The second he says that, he looks down and says, of course. A relief. It's still a sculpture. Look for a relief about air. <laughs> they're finding things seconds before the clock strikes. Yeah, exactly. Like, they don't find it at 9.15 and then they got 45 minutes <laughs> to fucking figure it out. Anyway. But the killer gets away because he's wearing priest robes. That's right. 
<laughs> no one's going to notice somebody in priest robes. I mean, come yeah, on. I mean, crazy. we're in the Vatican. Guy bloody priest robes. Absolutely. He's just dripping with blood. He's a normal <laughs> priest. So we find out the Illuminati takes credit not just for these deaths, but also for killing the previous pope as well yeah. through poison. Uh, and the Vatican police are giving false information to the media because the media is saying something about, yeah, there was some incident, somebody got hurt or something like that, but not one of the preferee just showed up with his gut spilling <laughs> out right in front of a cloud of thousands of people. They clear it out and they just wash the blood off of the steps. Mm-hmm. Forensics investigation? No, no not going to happen. CSI come in or the crime? Nope. This nothing. guy was one of the people that was going to be the next pope. He was about to be the next pope. <laughs> Which means he's going to be missed, <laughs> whether he's the next pope or not. <laughs> like, you don't just get to you be- don't just spray down the cobblestones. <laughs> it's like, and then they just let everybody back in. Get back in here and start shouting at each other again. <laughs> As we alluded to earlier, they go now back down into the archives. And back to the Vatican. Oh, there goes that again. The sort of, I think he was a... <laughs> he's wearing a pope hat again. The Swiss guard, I guess he's like the number two or something like that. He's his agent, the blonde guy. He goes down with him, looks at the oxygen level thing, and kind of like narrows his eyes in a very suspicious sort of way. Then we cut back to Langdon doing whatever he's doing, and then all of a sudden it's like... Yeah, red. The whole scene goes red. And it's like, oh, well, obviously that guy did it. He was staring at the oxygen meter. They're locked in, and the oxygen's being cut out. Yeah, but he's the one who actually drops. We see him, uh, the Swiss guard guy, he, he drops down, whereas Langdon is able to get on top of a bookcase and smash the bookcase against the window and then shoot a gun at it, and then it looks like they're going to die, and then psh, window opens, and everything's fine, I yeah. guess. In, inserted between all of this, there's like a 30-second scene with Priest Ewan McGregor and the sexy scientists, where very naturally it is brought up that Ewan McGregor flew helicopters for the military. Maybe it'll come Maybe up. Maybe that'll I don't come know. up. I don't know. There's just a lot of wasted dialogue. In did, like what the like, obviously <laughs> did Langdon even discover anything in that almost death trap? No. What what the point was that scene? No fucking clue. There was no purpose for that scene. No fucking clue. They just needed a, a scene of peril. Yeah. So it's oh, like this is manufactured one. Give us another Hank's taint scene. <laughs> I know if you're gonna do it do it and we also find out Ewan was adopted by the dead Pope so yep. they have a whole history together we check in with antimatter again still gonna explode <laughs> um, priest Ewan unchains the conclave he just unchains him and he walks in and he gives a speech he gives his Pope campaign speech but before that we found out that the Pope was murdered the The first Pope was murdered right they find out they find his black tongue and I yeah. think Pope's black tongue is a great name for a dark metal band <laughs> But all the while, you see Ewan McGregor supporting this investigation into the Pope's murder, and he's the good guy. Yeah. He's not giving any furtive glances. He wants to tell the truth, sort of gives a, a speech about the Illuminati and, quote, their new god, science. Science. Because talk about the themes. Yeah. Talk about the themes. So meanwhile, Langdon, whoosh, he's off. He's racing to the next church. And this time they find him, because it's this whole thing about earth, air, fire. This it, one's fire, and sure enough, there's a guy. He's getting burned alive. A priest getting, uh, he's about, he's over a, like a big flame of uh, pews and chairs. And he's chained, his arms are chained. This part, this is the one, my laugh out loud moment of this <laughs> movie, because Langdon runs to go unchain him, and the guy, the assassin who's been killing all these priests is still there. Yeah. And he's John Wick. Right. He, he, everything's a nice headshot <laughs> oh, kill seriously. to all the cops. Langdon 
falls. He can't support. Th- and then the priest just falls right in the fucking right flames. So it's like Langdon's fault that the guy is now being roasted alive. <laughs> and I fucking laughed out loud. Yeah, the killer is there. Uh, Langdon's able to escape into the crypt, but the killer kills some of the Vatican police and uh, is able to get away. And of course, the priest says, so we kind of get the impression, we go back to the conclave, and now we get the impression that Armin Mueller Stahl, his whole stalling tactics, is stalling us. He's Armin Mueller stalling. <laughs> we get the feeling, mainly through shifty-eyed glances, yeah. that he is scheming to become the new pope, and that he will step down from his role as elector. When we first meet him, he does this whole, like, I have no ambitions of power, yeah. you know. But yeah, it's obviously like he's like, I'm way into being the Pope now. I, do. I can take some Pope. Do you think like those Cardinals, the Preferiti, they have to lobby the Vatican like Gary Carter in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> like every year they're showing up at the dinners. <laughs> Glad handling, shaking hands, kissing babies. <laughs> oh, you shouldn't say that about Catholic priests, I guess. No. So Langdon, he finds a map. And he starts mutter-splaining to himself that the four <laughs> churches that they found, that they form across across Rome, that these the four places that they've been to, and he deduces that the fifth will be at the center of a cross, which is this fountain. They arrive just as the killer, apparently out of ideas at this point, just dumps someone in the fountain. <laughs> this, like the other ones were all these elaborately staged things, where like chains and all. Like, it was supposed to be this like evoking like. The Earth, art, air, and, uh, fire, yeah, exactly. Water. They're these beautiful, uh, ghastly tableaus, and this one is just like, ah, dunk. I got some weights. I got a, a wheelbarrow. I'm gonna put them <laughs> in a fountain. He's like looking for puddles, just any sizable water. So he dumps them in this fountain and takes off. Langdon leaps into the fountain, manages to save the priest just in time, and reveals the location of the antimatter. So how do I know that there's no god? Because there's 51 minutes left in this fucking movie. <laughs> I I shit myself when I saw that. That was crazy. There's this whole thing throughout this movie. So, they're on, like, like I said, they're on this scavenger hunt, right? And yeah. they're trying to find the, what is it? The path of enlightenment. The path of uh, illumination. The path of illumination, which is going to lead the way to the, the historical hiding place of the Illuminati, Okay. So they get there not just through these clues, but through all these statues that are like pointing, pointing the, the way. way. Yeah. So this is the whole thing about this fucking movie is like it posits that the Illuminati is this gigantic conspiracy, this gigantic centuries long conspiracy for a secret, secret society. But the secret society is going to leave <laughs> hundreds of elaborate <laughs> clues in the most conspicuous place possible. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's pretty lousy secret society, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then when you find out whole, the reveal. The whole thing with the statues, though, is that the statues are like someone's pointing in a statue. They're pointing the way to the next statue or something like that. You don't just pop up a statue overnight. It takes months to build a statue in a public place and then put it all. Where the fuck were the Illuminati meeting while they were building this whole map to where they were going to like, <laughs> listen. None of us will live to see this meeting room. Yeah. We will be dead for centuries, but the statues will point the way. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> What's the point of it? Why would you even do it? it makes- it's just a stupid concept. Yep. Langdon just symbolizes and symbolizes. Yeah. He finds some things. They find the killer just as he's getting his Hold on. final payment. But before this, this is the fucking the greatest part of Robert Langdon explanation in the movie. <laughs> he goes and he looks behind a statue that if you just look at it, it looks like the statue's on the wall, but the walls overlap. 
And so there's a little hidden passage. Right. He explains that after he's found it, comes back out to explain it, and goes back in. I know. Like, <laughs> she sees him in the hidden passage. He goes, this is a hidden passage. The walls overlap. It's an optical illusion. Go. <laughs> yeah. Like, because otherwise she might think I just disappeared. <laughs> she might think I'm half in the wall and <laughs> half might, not. She might think I can walk through walls. Like, what the <laughs> fuck, dude? <laughs> Don't explain it. Just do it. So... They burst in. They find the killer. He's getting his final wire transfer payment over his computer. He's ready to take off. He tells them he's not going to kill him, and yeah. he hasn't killed him because they they aren't threatening him. I mean, they one hundred percent are. They but totally whatever. just traced him. <laughs> they totally found him. But he's like, I'm not. It's okay. I'm just going to take off. But I have a warning. These are men of God. The people who have hired me. So they run off to warn Priest Ewan McGregor. As they're running, they see the killer get into a car, turn the key, and kaboom, loose end, dealt with. Yeah. Just dead. We also get an intercut shot of Stellan Skarsgård, the Swiss guard, yeah. as Richter locking a door in the room with the Kamalanga with Ewan McGregor. Yeah, and he goes into Ewan McGregor. He puts his Swiss guard outside, says, guard the door. He says, no uh, Ewan McGregor says, are you here to martyr me? It cuts right away before Stellan Skarsgård can react, just so he can add a shitty bit of tension, as if you don't know what's going to happen. So they run into Warren Ewan, they push past the guard, they kick open the door, and there is Stellan Skarsgård, the Swiss guard, standing over a branded priest Ewan. Uh, Stellan uh, Swiss guard is holding a gun over him, and Ewan shouts, it's him, it's him, it's, he's the guy. So they just boom, 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 shoot him. Mm-hmm. Some other priest, I don't even remember who the fuck this guy was, some that's, other guy runs that's in. That's priest purple hat. That's priest purple hat all he is. <laughs> he, he picks up the branding iron. He's just watched somebody get shot while trying to attack you. And it's like, I'm going to attack you and fuck it. Yeah. Picks up the branding iron, goes to shoot him. Uh, Ewan yells, Illuminati. Mm-hmm. And then kaboom, boom, 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 boom. Purple hat gets shot too. So, oh, we saved Priest Ewan just in time. We've saved the one good, honest, true man the in the movie. One good man. This is where the dialogue starts to sound like blah, 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 necropolis of St. <laughs> Peter. <laughs> oh, we forgot to mention that Stellan Swissguard gives Langdon a key. Oh, was that what that was? Yeah, he gives him a key, which Langdon does not acknowledge for the next half hour. Yeah, Jesus Christ. It, well, but the plot didn't need it at this point. You were exactly. But we needed him to have the key. Symbologist is like, hey, this the is a clue. Symbologist is like, i seen a meaning in this. It, it's almost like the uh, nuclear physicist, hot scientist, all of a sudden knew how to uh, correctly diagnose that the Pope was murdered. Yeah. Because she knew all the medical terms and everything <laughs> that would happen if he was fed a certain kind of poison. <laughs> So at this point, the movie has been, you know, a lot of chasing and a lot of uh, running around and a lot of puzzle solving and stuff like that. Boy, it goes kind of crazy for a few minutes here. I mean, yes, it goes it fucking bonkers. This is this is bananas. This is really where the movie just gets nuts. It, we're in the we're in the final stretch here. What do you mean you think you're in the final stretch? But holy shit, you're not. So they find the antimatter. They find the antimatter. It's in St. Peter's tomb. It's just hanging. It's in St. Peter's tomb. Mm-hmm. So. The sexy scientist picks it up. She's like, "I may. it's only five minutes left. It's cold in here. If I try to charge it, that might blow it up. I don't know what I can do. And so they're all like, well, shit, let's try to like bury it. And if we have it here, it's in the tomb, so it'll do the least amount of damage. Ewan McGregor says, not on my watch. <laughs> Super Pope grabs the canister, runs out of the building, runs to the helicopter that is just there. <laughs> That's right. It's this just is there. In the middle of a crowd. He goes in. He's like. I'm going to take it up on myself. So he grabs the pilot out of there. He pilots it. Someone says, you have clearance. 
How? How do you? That's impossible. So takes it straight up in the air, straight up in the air. The music starts swelling and swelling. This is like an eight minute scene. Langdon walks out. The crane camera comes up. So Langdon is realizing he's going to sacrifice himself to try to get this explosive canister of antimatter up. Helicopter keeps rising, 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 rising. We see a parachute. Oh, he's saved. Well, maybe the canister didn't go off. There's a little moment of, but no. Explosions in the sky, blinding white light, water in the fountain. Like the whole city is just rattled to the teeth. Like no one's. It's almost like no difference if the bomb went off down below. Exactly. But it's, it's instead of destruction, it's just the, the after effect. It's the blast. You know, it's not like buildings are falling down and everyone's detonated alive but there is it's like an enormous earthquake hits the city basically so his parachute gets affected by the blast he hits the ceiling of the church he gets knocked unconscious his body drifts into the crowd the crowd picks him up and he opens his eyes a hero yeah he's a hero rance howard he's a cardinal from texas ron howard's dad of course no clint howard no you can find i mean Who's going to do a better shifty eye than Clint Howard? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like right? you can find some shifty eye, like a shifty eyed tourist or something. So Rance Howard and the other cardinals in the conclave start making the case for Pope Ewan McGregor. Right? Um, they're really into it. They're ready to flout all the rules. He's not old enough. He's not this. He's not that. But they don't give a shit. Yeah, the, which is really weird for religions to have certain rules and then just ignore others <laughs> and supersede them. But Tom Hanks and the sexy scientists are recuperating in the weapons lobby uh, just outside of the Swiss Guard offices. And it turns out the key, remember the Skarsgård key? Yeah. It unlocks surveillance footage showing that Skarsgård confronted Ewan McGregor with proof that he murdered the Pope and that Ewan poisoned him to protect the church from science. This is the fucking hackiest bit of thing. Remember at the beginning when the Hadron Collider, they were watching it on their computer screens and it went into it? They're watching this video footage. Then it goes into the scene as if the scene was shown earlier in the so movie. Good. And we find out that instead of being branded by Skarsgård, that he branded himself. And they just happened to kick open the door at the absolute perfect time with him on the floor branded and Stellan Skarsgård awkwardly standing him over and holding a gun and looking very confused. The depth of this planning by Ewan McGregor. All the everything that had to perfectly align for this to pull off, and then he leaves Tom Hanks and the scientist alone with all the evidence. Oh, right. <laughs> I mean, the whole fucking thing is like, holy fuck! So this is where you realize there were two people. It was not an Illuminati conspiracy. So, yeah. There were exactly two people. So who the killer off- and Ewan McGregor, and that's it. Who turned off the power in the killer? That- I guess. I guess. What? Yeah. It was two people. But here's the other question. The entire point of this whole thing was for Langdon to solve the puzzles. Yeah, exactly. To get there, to get to this point where the Pope can grab the canister, where they can barge in at this perfect time, eliminate all of his enemies, and he can grab the canister of antimatter and throw it. He had this all time now that he's going to find every clue at this exact perfect time, and it's all going to culminate at this exact perfect time. And if it doesn't, everyone's going to die in an explosion. If, if, if you have diarrhea anywhere along the steps, <laughs> no. nothing falls together. <laughs> and you and McGregor had to have figured all this out before Tom Hanks yes. did. But here's the thing. Then why did you try to kill him? 
Yeah, exactly. It, Why would you try to kill him if the whole thing is he has to solve it all? <laughs> That's the whole thing. <laughs> Where were you going to find the antimatter? Oh, my God. So anyway, the Cardinals, the Conclave, summons Ewan McGregor. And at first, it's like, I mean, it's an- another dumb fucking fake out by yeah. Ron Howard where it's like, oh, the Cardinals are going to elect him Pope. So the Cardinals are all sit- standing there as he opens the doorway to the Conclave. The guards who are there to grab him are in the back of the crowd. They have to work their way through the crowd. He just leaves. It's just meant to be ominous. It's just, just meant to be dramatic. But they're trying to hem him in, but they're like, the best way to hem him in is to all be on one side. And let him go. Several hundred yards behind him. Yeah. And so that gives Ewan McGregor enough time to run away, get to this altar where he grabs fuel and fire and sets himself on fire. <laughs> now he's dead. My girlfriend was passing by a couple times while this movie was on, and when she saw that, she goes, so now does Tom Hanks get to be Pope? I know, right? <laughs> but we do see, next scene, white smoke. Hey! White smoke. You know what that means. They've elected We a got a new Pope, uh, which is why the media rushes through reports of four high-profile murders, then celebrates the election of the Pope in, quote, one of the smoothest and swiftest conclaves in recent church history. How many people get murdered during the usual conclaves? Is it's that al- a normal thing for lots of murders? It's to happen? almost like the Catholic Church is good at covering things up. <laughs> I mean, going it's basically out like, here. yeah, you know, four cardinals got murdered, but we got a new pope, and that's exciting. Three got murdered, one got almost murdered, and is now the new pope. That's who that is. But the pope got murdered. Yeah, the pope got murdered, and three cardinals. We took out a pope. Uh, you, you're right. That's that's a good poker they hand. The pope really, and three cardinals. They really do not give a fuck it about that. It beats four cardinals. And that cardinal that got becomes At the Catholic pope? Church. We're not about looking back to the past. No, we do not. And the murders that just happened <laughs> yesterday. Cardinal Baraga. Cardinal Baraga, aka Cardi B, aka the guy who survived being dunked into a fountain, is now Luke. He is the new pope. pope Luke. The media sent out some misinformation about the camera lingo. This this fucking guy is now Pope. (laughs) Nobody's going to be like, hey, what happened two days ago when you were dumped into a fountain with Illuminati carved into your chest? Nobody's talking about that. No one's talking about the brand on his chest that says Illuminati. So anyway, everything's fine now. Don't worry about it. Murder below the fold. We got a new Pope. Langdon gets the Galileo text that he needed to complete whatever stupid fucking thing he's doing. New Pope is the guy Langdon saves. He's a doctor. Why, that's an interesting mix of science and faith. Thank you, sexy scientist, for once again explaining the themes of the movie. Pope walks out onto the balcony, adoring crowd, cheers, the end! Hey, there that's is a god after all. your movie, and it's called Angels and Demons. You know, the funny thing is I took so many notes because there's just so much plot, and there's so many unnecessary characters, and there's so many like red herrings, and there's so much nonsense. I didn't take any notes on any of the details of any of the Catholic scavenger hunt clues that they throw out there because the movie it's doesn't impossible give, to. The movie doesn't give a fuck. No, it's impossible. It doesn't to. care at all. I've literally I've never seen a movie where every bit of dialogue is just in service of what's happening in the scene, not of any character or plot development or anything like that. It's just like let you said it so perfectly. It's running through the scene, spouting the dialogue to get to the next scene. So let's give our ratings. Just to remind everybody run of the mill, bad film. It's a dare. Next level. Bad is a double dare. And the reverse dare goes to a movie that we thought was pretty good. Quirky rating for angels and demons. I'm going double dare on this because double of dare. yeah, double dare because it, it, it could be just mindless popcorn fun, but it's not, it's not fun. And it, you have to, I'm on the surface level watching in experiencing something. 
I'm watching a person move and say words, and then there's a new scene, and we're in a neat location. Person saying words. That's yeah, it. No. You can't get into someone this movie chases at all. someone, and then someone saves someone, and then, I mean, like, who cares, right? It's all just things that are happening. Yeah, it's not an emphatic double dare. It's a bad double dare. I'm just gonna go with a dare. To me, again, I think maybe having seen Da Vinci Code, and it's the version of this where. It really is just a really long PowerPoint presentation. It's a slow chase film. This is at least a fast chase film. Mm-hmm. So, Although 139 minutes, Jesus Christ. Recognize that this movie is complete trash, okay? Yeah. And, and make it 100 minutes. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> like, this is not, you're just not going for Oscars here, Ronnie. Um, so, anyway, I'm going to go with a dare uh, for Angels and Demons. So that is all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel, but we'll be back in two weeks to review another one of your movie dares. Until then, send your most sadistic or altruistic movie dares to us at daredaniel.com, and be sure to follow Dare Daniel Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like and rate us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can read my movie reviews on the Dare Daniel website at daredaniel.com. Corky, yes. where can people find you symbolizing? You can find me roaming through the Sacramento Comedy Spot explaining to everybody the meaning of every joke and where it came from and who else said it (laughs) and why they said it and at what time. You can also find me at Suspects Dinner Theater on the Delta King in Old Sacramento. There's got to be some clues there, huh? (laughs) I have nothing. My symbolism. (laughs) Symbolism. Hey-oh. So for Dear Daniel, let's go out on that. I'm Daniel Barnes. (laughs) Our producer is Johnny Illuminati. Flores. And I'm Corky McDonald saying, see, what Johnny Flores does is produces the podcast, and what producing is is where it's, you monitor the sound levels and, and record it and m- make sure everything works appropriately and that we're mic'd up appropriately. Oh, yeah. Similar to how it was done in the 1930s. The epic production of 1932. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Anyway, we're done. We love you. <laughs>